0: Amen. Amen. So, as I said earlier, we are looking at a few different scriptures today. In fact, this message that I prepared is a little bit different than normal Easter messages that I've made in the past, but I wanted to do something different this year, something that I think speaks to the Spirit. It speaks to what we need to hear today. So, I hope that this message will bless you. And to start it off, I want to read a few chapters, or a few. Few verses that is from Matthew 28, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 28. Verse 1. We're going to be reading through verse 10 here, and then we're going to skip back through to the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you'll be jumping around a little bit. Otherwise, we put everything on the screen for you as well. So it says this that after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, collapsed at his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There They will see me. You see, I think for many of us, we hear this story, we see the beauty in this story, and we experience firsthand through these scriptures what resurrection looks like, how Jesus was able to overcome the grave and come back to life. But the thing is, is that if we were to put ourselves back into this time period, if we were to take a time machine and travel back to the first century, I think it would feel very different than how you and I feel today. You see, you and I benefit from history. We benefit from years and years and years of tradition of celebrating resurrection. But for the disciples, they would have not known fully for themselves yet what was happening. You see, for them, they would have seen their rabbi, their teacher, their beloved prophet, the one that they believed to be the Messiah of the world, Dying a terrible death, being crucified, being tortured, and then being buried. For them, their world would have been utterly changed. And changed for the worse. So when they went to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body... They went with a totally different expectation. They did not go thinking that they were going to find out that he wasn't there. But this was all for God's promise. This was all the culmination of history coming into this point and sharing something that God had been working out for generations and generations. And that specific thing is God's love and restoration for humanity. Because you see, we have been broken by sin, by the sins that we commit and the sins that we experience in this life that create the brokenness in us and in others and in the world that we live. And from that moment of brokenness, God devised a plan in order to bring restoration. I think to help make this point clear, I want us to look back to a different story in history. A story that comes from the Old Testament about a king and a lost man. Many of you probably have heard of the name King David before. If you don't know who he is, King David is considered one of the greatest kings that has ever lived in Israel. Till this day, if you, if you live in Israel or if, you, if you're of Jewish descent, you would look at David as the greatest king who, have, who ever lived. Why? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Well, it says in Scripture, specifically in 2 Samuel chapter 9, that David one day was thinking about a close friend of his. He was thinking about a man named Jonathan, and he was wondering if there was a way to show love to Jonathan's family. For many of you, maybe that doesn't make sense, but what, what history tells us is, is that David had a best friend, and this man was named Jonathan. But you see, David's best friend, Jonathan, was the son of the former king of Israel named Saul. And Saul was not a good king. He was a king that did wicked things in the eyes of God. And one day, as it would happen, both King Saul and Jonathan would die. But David remembered a promise that he had made to Jonathan. Because you see, Jonathan and David, even though Jonathan's father hated David, they had a close relationship with each other. Jonathan and David were like brothers to each other. They cared for one, uh, one another. They loved each other deeply, and they made a promise to each other that regardless of whatever happened to each other, that they would love and take care of each other's family. So after many things happen in the lives of David and Jonathan, we learn that Jonathan and Saul pass away. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we learn of Jonathan's only son. You see, when a king died, typically what would happen is there would be a power struggle. There would be a desire to place a new king in place of the deceased king. So, oftentimes, this was a brutal moment in history for the king's family because people would often try to kill each other in order to ascend to the throne. So with that same panic and fear in mind, the caregiver over Jonathan's son wrapped him in her arms and started to run out of the city, worried that they would try to kill Jonathan's son. Now, I need to prepare you for his name, because I don't know if you're going to be able to say it yourself, but his name was Mephibosheth. Could you say Mephibosheth? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you're speaking in tongues. (laughs) So just as a little boy, 2 Samuel 4.4 says this, that Jonathan's son, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. Why bring up a story about a king, a son, somebody who runs in hiding? Well, I think it's easy for us to read scriptures and in some ways lose what's going on in front of us. But think about what this world would have been like for Mephibosheth. You know, I have a little boy. He's only four years old. And scripture says that when all of this happened in Mephibosheth's life, he was only five years old. And at five years of age, he loses his home, he loses his grandfather, he loses his father. He loses every single thing that he would have known and created stability in his world. And if that wasn't bad enough, he has to be stripped away from the only place he's ever lived. And while doing that, he is literally broken, not just in his heart, but in his body. And Mephibosheth becomes lame at the feet. As running away from the city, he falls and becomes broken. You see, I think this story in some ways speaks to us, right? How the sins of our fathers create chaos for us. That we too have lost our home. That we too have become broken. That we too have felt the weight of death in our own lives. And that through those moments, we have become broken people, not just on the inside, but on the outside as well. We don't really know much about Mephibosheth, After this point, in fact, many chapters go by and many thousands of verses progress before we even hear about Mephibosheth again. But around 20 years or so passes by when David is reminded about the promise that he made to his best friend many years ago. And he asks the former servant of King Saul if there's anybody left in Jonathan's family. Well, this servant tells David that one son is left, Mephibosheth. So David calls Mephibosheth to come back to the palace to meet him. Now, if you're Mephibosheth, Think about what that experience would have been like. You've been two decades away from your home. The last time you were there, it was the worst day of your life. The day that you learned that your whole family was wiped off the earth. The day that you became broken on the outside. The day that your world flipped upside down and now you have to be carried through the very palace that you grew up in that was associated with all of the pain that you can possibly remember. I imagine Mephibosheth was probably terrified as he was entering into the king's courts. Thinking about all of the things that represent his pain, his brokenness, and his loss in life. When all of a sudden, David, seeing Mephibosheth, yells out his name. Mephibosheth! Not knowing what is going to happen next. Not knowing if this is the moment where Mephibosheth finally needs to answer for the sins of his fathers. And he finally needs to face the judgment that he tried to run away from with his nurse. He bows down prostrate on the floor in front of David and begins to say that he is at his service. David says to him in verse 7, don't be afraid for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I don't think Mephibosheth was thinking that this was going to be his fate. I don't think that for any part of his life, he thought that he would be called back by the new king and brought to a place of complete restoration. Because you see, if David wanted Mephibosheth killed, he could have done that and nobody would have batted an eye and some would say that it was his duty to do that for the sins that his fathers committed, but David instead extends what? Grace to Mephibosheth and he gives him back every single thing that was lost not just in his life, but that went for generation to generation all the way back to this his grandfather, King Saul, and he says, I I'm going to restore this to you, but I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to invite you to my table so that every day of your life, you can eat with me. You see, this is an incredible honor because what Mephibosheth is experiencing here and what David is basically telling Mephibosheth in this moment is that I am inviting you to be like my son. I'm adopting you into my family and I'm allowing you to be restored as one of my children. I see you now as one of my own. You know, because Mephibosheth was lame and crippled in both feet, we don't know if he could walk or if he had to crawl, but it's likely that there were many times because of his lame legs that he would have to be carried to the table and what a picture of god's grace what a picture of grace to be in a place where you thought that you were despised and broken and forever forgotten and the opposite happens you're loved You're restored and you're brought back to a place of honor and you're carried to the table to be with the king. Mephibosheth, not knowing how to handle this generosity, tells David, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me The truth is is that all of us are like mephibosheth. All of us have become broken people at some points in our lives. We have experienced brokenness through the fallen nature of this world. And you see, if you look at scripture, you constantly see these stories of grace. And I'm of the belief that the reason why these grace stories exist is because God was trying to build in his people the picture that he wanted to paint. That he would eventually paint through the person of Jesus. You see, David could only restore one man. But Jesus could restore all humanity that would believe in him, amen? And that is what the beauty of the resurrection is. It's being able to notice and realize that we too are broken people, that we too have fallen, that we too have experienced the sins of our fathers. And because of that, we've been carried away from the place that we need to be, which is in the palace, which is in the presence of the living God. And because of that, We feel the brokenness of life. But the gospel message, the resurrection says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I'm carrying you back to the table to live and to dine with me whatever was broken i'm restoring back to you in your life and that is what the resurrection proclaims it's why jesus in john 11:25 said I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's Jesus' question to all who were listening in that moment. And it's a question that still stands for each of you. Do you believe this? You know, when Jesus eventually made his way back to the disciples, they still had no clue what was going on. So Jesus tries to help them understand just what is going on here? And in Luke twenty four forty four, he says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and he told them that this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, that was the plan all along and it remains the plan to this day. That God wants to restore us. That Jesus wants to carry us to the table of God. You know, so often people misrepresent and mispicture who Jesus is. And the work of Christ and the work of God is always a work of restoration. It's always a work of trying to carry us back to the table of God. And my Easter hope for you, my resurrection message for you is that wherever you are at, whatever place of brokenness you have experienced, past, present, or even future, that you would be reminded today that resurrection life exists, that being carried to the table is real, that that is what the work of God looks like for all humanity, all that would believe that even when we are broken and lame and cannot do it ourselves, that God does it for us. He picks us up in his arms and he brings us to his table. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that through all the pages of Scripture, you're constantly trying to show and foreshadow the love and the grace that you want to give to all of us. Lord, it is true that we are broken people. Lord, that we have done things that we are sorry for. Father, we ask for forgiveness in those areas. But more than anything, Lord, we look to you as our rescuer. We look to you as the one who could carry us to the table of God. I pray, Lord, that if there is anybody here who has not answered that question yet, the question that you asked 2,000 years ago, do you believe this? That they would give an answer to you right now. Father, I thank you that through our belief in you, as Jesus and Lord, that we are restored people, that we are redeemed people through the work that you did. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have, for the grace that we have, for the restoration that we have. And with thanksgiving, Father, we praise your name for resurrection. Not just in your life, but in our own.